This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, the Clarets travelled to Stamford Bridge knowing that three points would guarantee them a fourth successive season in the Premier League. This is the Known and Never podcast. Man bags, man bags, bum bags, some kind of bags. Hello and welcome to the Known and Ever podcast. Natalie here, welcoming you to a jam-packed episode full of the drama, the elation, the emotion and just everything that came with the Claret's fantastic point on Monday night away at Stamford Bridge. We don't have any immediate match reaction this week, which is a few technical issues, um, predominantly because I was in France, so that was um, quite difficult to be able to record a post-match um, immediate reaction for you. But we do have with us this week Richard, who um, you'll remember joined us a few weeks ago, um, who was at the game and is going to give us some insider stats from um, Stamford Bridge itself. And we are joined, as ever, by Statman Dave. Gentlemen, welcome welcome. Hi Natalie, how are you? Yeah, we're good. Dave, how are you? I'm well, thank you Natalie. All the better for us getting to 40 points. Oh, doesn't it just sound lovely? I think for me, I know we were probably going to be safe even if we didn't pick up any points between now and the end of the season, but I really wanted us to get to that 40 points. And my rationale behind it, I think, was We've got to take last season as a completely standalone season and something that was an anomaly. And we may very well replicate it at some point, but I think most of us realise that in the short term, let's say the next five years, we're probably going to have the season that we had this season and the year before last. And to get less than 40 points when the first season we survived, we did manage to get over that 40 points. Um I just feel or was it the second no, it was the second season wasn't it we got over 40 points it just felt to me that I didn't want us to step back a bit and end up in the 30s um loads to talk about this week obviously um we know now that the Clarets traveled down to Stamford Bridge and the start of four pretty horrific final fixtures for us we knew going into these last four games that we were going to have to get as many points on the board as possible going into them because we we, we that we wouldn't be able to pick much up. Um, but as it turned out, the, the boys put in an absolutely magnificent performance again for the second season running at Stamford Bridge and came away with a fantastic point. 24 minutes of action at the beginning, all sorts of drama at the end and um, the Clarets on 40 points. Richard, let's start with you because you were at the game. Um, 
just talk us through what the atmosphere was like inside the game for those who didn't go um, beforehand. You know, what was the, we talked to Tom Whitaker about this a couple of weeks ago. You know, was there any apprehension? Was there nervousness? Or was it pretty relaxed down there? Um, I wouldn't say, from my point of view, there was that much apprehension. I think after the Cardiff game, you know, we were pretty much safe, um, and especially after Cardiff lost against Liverpool. Uh, so I think there was just people just genuinely looking looking forward to the game, and you know, there was a great atmosphere all the way through. And obviously, at, at full time, um, that's as animated as I've seen Dice for 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 a while. Um, yeah, and it was just a like you said, that to get into get into that forty point mark was just brilliant. Um, and just to add to that, I've got to say, ever since we took the lead against the Wolves game at Turf Moor, I think the atmosphere has been fantastic and I think the players have um, felt a lift from that. I, I went down to Bournemouth too and the atmosphere was brilliant there. Um, so I think the fans have definitely played a part in uh, this re- rivalry uh, that Burnley's had. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. I've certainly been feeling it at Turf Moor as well. I've felt that um, there's just been a lift in in the nerves. It's, it's been a really difficult season. I think we've talked about this. I'm, I'm not going to go through it again. We've talked about it over the last few weeks about the challenges that all of us have faced this season from manager to players to fans. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right, Richard. It certainly feels at the moment like there has been um, just the nerves have settled and it feels like there's much more of a togetherness about us than there was maybe at the beginning of the season and rightly so in a lot of places as well um, you know, I think a lot of people were quite right to be concerned in that Boxing Day fixture um, Richard sticking with you then um, you talk about the atmosphere from the fans what what do you felt did the players react at the end of the game? You know, they must have come over and been able to share that moment with you, knowing that they'd reached that 40 points. So did the sort of drama at the end of it detract from that a little bit? And, and the reason why I ask you this, sorry, is that um, we all know, obviously, that this game got moved very, very late in the day. Sky put it on television um, at a time when tubes and trains were on strike and it left a lot of fans who'd already bought their ticket and made their plans unable to get to and from the game. So it'd be interesting to see how that end of the uh, end of the game played out. Yeah, it was a funny one. You didn't almost um you almost didn't really notice uh, the trouble that was going on and the players came over right at the end. Um, you know, and I'll I'll give them the due. The players always come over um and they celebrated for quite a while um with the fans and you could just see the elation on the players' face. Um that they that they knew did, you know, got a really tough, well earned point. At Chelsea and ultimately secured the Premier Premier League survival and yeah, just like I was echoing before, um, just a real positive atmosphere in the in the away end um, and obviously when they get the songs of "We Love You Burnley," we do. Uh, you feel the passion in the crowd and I think that rub, rubs off on the players. I think you can especially see in some of the players who's been there a while. You like to Ben, me, uh, Tom Eaton. Um, a player who always impresses me when he comes over is Matt Lawton. He's not played a lot of football this season. Um, but you can still see what it means to him, uh, you know, when he when he when he when he when he plays when he plays well for Burnley, and when we and when we get a result. Yeah, absolutely. I certainly feel that when I see him. Um, so, Dave, let's let's start looking into and unpicking all of the drama that went on. And I'm going I'm going to go through all the incidents first because. I'm so impressed with the um, performance of the Burnley boys and the way they handled themselves. And I want to finish on a high with that at the end of the podcast. And I want to really look at the goals and look at the performance. So I want to get all the nonsense out of the way first. Now, there's all sorts to unpick. There's lots of different incidents. But Dave, would you think, do you think it's a fair comment for me to suggest that the tactics 
adopted by Chelsea after the game, the whinge into the press, the, the strop by Sarre, the refusal to do the press conference, the stupid, ridiculous comment by David Luiz, to me is straight out of the Jose Mourinho book of deflection. They dropped points at home when they were trying to get into the Champions League. They've got a manager under fire, players underperforming. They're going to lose Eden Hazard in the summer. They've got... Um, suspension sorry they've got um, transfer bans going on this is a club that's in a bit of a tricky situation at the moment and do you think it's fair to suggest that a lot of this nonsense after the game was pure deflection tactics uh well it's, it's funny you say that because i think deflection is exactly what it is that's um they're not the only team to do it to be fair they've um uh had it the burnley treatment um we've done that to several of the teams and they don't react well to it. The 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 players often don't. The the management sometimes don't. Um, the press often don't. And a, a very um, well, a vocal minority, let's say, of uh, of fans of these clubs as well, um, tend to have their say and and don't particularly like what Burnley have done to them, um, as if there's some divine way to play football. You know, at the end of the day, we've got um, a, a football game out there. There's two teams, and they're trying to get more goals near the team and get three points if possible. Um, and there's different ways to go about that. Yeah, you can be a Man City, you can you know, get a, a rich billionaire owner and get 500 million, well, a billion pounds spent on, on players over the last decade or so and do it that way. Or you can do it the Burnley way. Burnley are never going to have that money. So, you know, we, we go about it the way we go about it and teams don't particularly take well to that. Um, and Chelsea certainly didn't on um, on Monday night. And I think the fact that um, Sonny was involved, he was it was in the Burnley technical area at one point. I don't know what he was actually doing in there. Um, and the fourth official and the referee between them, quite rightly, um, sent him off at the end. They had a struggle to get him off in, in the end, didn't they? Um, but he, he didn't leave the pitch. And yeah, you just get the impression that everything that went on afterwards is pure deflection on their part. They're trying to do something to... Um, get away from the fact that you know a, a team like Burnley came there and, and got a decent result against them, and it you know it didn't go their way, um, and they've not reacted well. It's interesting you mentioned there about Sarri going into the technical area. He did it repeatedly through the mm. game, and, and I've seen afterwards um, that actually apparently he's been doing it all season. Um, apparently, Sean Dyche went and spoke to him, um, or certainly spoke to, to Zola at half time, and said, um, "Look, he's got to stop coming into the technical area. It's not allowed." And apparently, the excuse was, "Well, he's just adapting to the English style of play in Italy. The technical area is a lot bigger, and he's just not got his spatial awareness." And Dyche was just like. <laughs> Okay, fine, but he's been here for nine months now. You think he'd learn, but but fine, whatever. Now, you, you do. I think you're right, Dave. You do sort of get the impression that a lot of the performance by Sarri was um, inflated somewhat. And, and we'll we'll move on. I think firstly to the, the clash at the end because there's quite a few incidents. The clash between the Burnley's backroom staff and the particular claims at um, Warney and Billy Mercer clashed with Sarri. Um, it's, I think it certainly seems that both sides wound each other up with Sarri constantly being in the technical area. And apparently at one point, Warney told him to get out of the technical area and Sarri just went and stood right in front of him and wouldn't mm, move. Yeah. So it's like, okay, <laughs> you know, you can't have it. Now, I'm not condoning behaviour in any way, but Dave, the, the claims from Sarri about the conduct of the Burnley bench were that... Billy Merson and Ian Warren repeatedly called him and a disclaimer listeners 
I think we're all right with this word, but if you have sensitive ears, and I apologise in advance, but I don't think there's any way of getting around this word. They called him a shit Italian. But apparently they didn't just call him once and it wasn't conversational. Apparently they were saying it constantly in his face, almost like a jibe and as a bit of a, um, a, 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 what's the word I'm looking for, a bit of an attack on him. And that's what's apparently wound him up. Now, how do you feel about that, Dave? As, as, terms as, as far as insults go, I'm sure there are worse, but I, I'm not really sure how I feel about that from a hypersensitivity perspective. Uh, well, yeah, there's far worse things you could be saying, but I think it's, to, to be fair, it's down to the uh, fourth official. They've got a fourth official in there, um, and they should never be getting to the stage where uh, an opposing manager is leaving his own technical area and going into the um, the opposing team's pe- uh, technical area anyway. it's um, It can be difficult down there, and different grounds are laid out in different ways. You've got some grounds where... Um, I think actually there are some grounds where the technical area is actually a shared area, which that makes it even more difficult. Um, but some, the you know, there's you know several meters between them. Obviously, at Burnley now, there's quite a distance between the two technical areas. Um, but you know, it changes from ground to ground. But I think the, there maybe needs to be some standardisation of it. But the fourth official need to be hotter on the situation, as it is. You know, yeah, we, we, we can't go into the specifics of uh, exactly what's been said. There's been an allegation put out there. Um, and you know, the, the, if, if anything has been said, then uh, the fourth official will have heard what's been said and that will be in his report. So I think really under the circumstance, we have to leave that to the uh, FA and they'll make a decision. As far as I understand it so far, um, they have charged um, uh, Sarri. He's, he's been charged by the FA. They've come out with a statement today. He's got until Friday, I think, to respond back on that. But at the moment, there's been no other charges that have been laid by the FA. That's not to say there won't. There may well be uh, uh, mm. further uh, correspondence on that in the next day or two. Yeah, I think there's probably going to be three that they're going to look at, isn't it? There's obviously the Sarri's behaviour, which, is, as Dave rightly says, has already been charged and that one's been done. There's then the allegations of the indecent words um, coming from the Burnley bench. And then there is the, the scuffles, the physical scuffles at the end. Now, the, the final two of those haven't yet been, um, what's that I'm looking for, um, addressed by the FA. But that's not just, I guess the Sarri incident is the easiest one to look at because it's obvious it's there, it's on camera, and they can deal with that swift and say, no, you're being charged with that. The other two are probably more um, difficult in terms of who said what, he said, she said, you know, have we got any evidence and look at it. Um, Certainly looking at the second one, I had a quick look today at what possible um, sanctions of Burnley bench could um, face. I I think where I've settled on this is, yes, Dave's right, there are a lot worse things that you can say to somebody. So it's probably one of the softest, I feel like I'm on dodgy ground saying this, but I feel like it's one of the softest insults that you can give somebody, not that I'm condoning either. But I still don't like it. And I do I do expect better from my backroom staff. And it did surprise me a little bit, just because of the level of discipline that Deitch instills in his backroom staff and on his in his players, that they would get themselves embroiled in such a, a loss of discipline and a bit of a tittle-tattle. Now, the FA ruling on this is that, uh, for those of you out there who do like to know the ins and outs of it, it's FA rules E3, 1 and 2 that we're looking at. And E3, 1, it basically looks at an offence of using indecent words or behaviour. Indecent words, I don't know. I don't know whether that's maybe trying to um, look at maybe more offensive words, but certainly behaviour, to be that aggravating and to um, be quite... Um, in your face with certain other professionals and not give them um, 
professional respect, I think probably covers that one. Um, but then rule E32 goes one further to say that it becomes an aggravated breach if the words or the behaviour that you use include reference to, and there's lots of different offences, as you would expect, um, race, religion, um, sexual preference, you know, things like that. There are some quite offensive ones. But interestingly, reference to nationality is specifically included in rule E32 as being an aggravated factor. So let's see, as Dave said, let's see what happens there. But I think if, if, if the FA do find any evidence to suggest that the Burnley backroom staff have behaved in that way, then they are going to face some punishment for breaching those rules. Um, the standard punishment, interestingly, is an immediate five-game suspension and a £20,000 fine. So let's wait to see what happens there. Um, Richard, coming to you on that point, um, you, you said earlier on in, in the in the podcast that you didn't really see much of the kerfuffle at the end. But during the game, was it quite obvious that Sarri was kept going in, encroaching to the technical area? Did you see any of the little niggles between both sets of professionals? A little bit. I, I thought Dice was almost maybe trying to ignore it a little bit. And that's maybe why he said something at halftime uh, to Sarri. Um, so, but the, yeah, there was little niggly incidents going on, and you know, you you could constantly see Sarri just going into Dice's technical area or going down the line. Obviously, he got sent off uh, by the fourth official towards the end, and he was right over the touchline. Um, I think his excuse was that he was going giving the ball back or giving some tactical in, in instructions or anything like that. But it did look like he was shouting at somebody. Whether that's a Burnley player, I'm I'm not too sure. Um, but it's not surprising with Sarri. You're seeing him losing his temper in the Carling Cup final. Whatever happened with, with Kepa there not coming up. Obviously, you had that incident. Um, I just I just think he completely misread the game. He got his tactics wrong in the second half. He got his substitutions wrong. Um, Hudson Adai and Kante got injured. And he brought Pedro and Kovacic on, who just had no, no pace at all compared to the other two. And in my opinion, he's just using all this, bringing it all up and everything like that to di- divert the attention away from that. He actually got major tactical uh, decisions wrong in the game, which ultimately um, played a part in his team not getting the result. Um, but you can't... He's having a go about our, our, our conduct on the bench and he's going up and down the touchline, swearing, shouting, giving abuse to everybody. Like like I said before, it's just a way to divert the 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 attention away from himself because he knows he's had a bad game and um, as as the manager ensured himself up really. Yeah, really did. Um, so what about the other allegations then? Moving away from I guess the the niggles that we're, that we're talking about, Richard, there was massive suggestions all the way through the game and and a lot of accusations that Burnley were um, the masters of time wasting. And we saw a ridiculous situation where Tom Heaton got booked on the thirty second minute, which um, I'm sure Dave will back up the stats on this in a minute. But I think that's the earliest that a goalkeeper's ever been booked in the Premier League, um, or maybe for five years or something. I can't remember what the stat is. Dave will have a look at that in a minute. Um, but did did, uh, did it feel at the point that Tom Heaton was booked that you were a bit like, no, yeah, that's fair enough. He has, they have been trying to suck the game, or was it a ridiculous yellow card? It's an hard one because he was time wasting. There's no point denying it. Um, but I think to book him in the 37th minute was a was a was a bit harsh, and I don't think it's as bad as any other time wasting that you'll see in the Premier League when a team's looking to defend a point. Like a, like I watched Brighton yesterday, and Matt Ryan was taking just as just as long taking his goal kicks as Tom Eaton did, and he never got a yellow card all game. So I thought it was harsh. Um, I think the crowd and the players possibly influenced Martin Atkinson for him to give that decision. Obviously, Dice argued. 
um, that it, it's because Heaton he was looking to pass the ball out to me and then he had to move the ball across the six-yard box uh, so he could then play it long because the pass wasn't on. I don't over-believe in that. I, I don't think in that situation Heaton had much plan on panning it uh, on passing it to me um, but yeah I thought it was a harsh yellow card that early on in the game and you know you've, you've got to be a brave referee to book him again to send him off for time wasting and in my opinion the referee almost like played into Burnley's hands by by booking him because it just wasted more time. But how how did the players react to that though? Because I think obviously we we've I've seen um, the, the the game back, but I think it's it's often different. Well, I've looked at obviously I've seen the full ninety minutes, but it, it, sometimes I think you get a different feel for the game when you're actually at the ground. Um, I think Deitch was pretty clear in what he said that well, if you're going to book the 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 uh, sorry the the goalkeeper for being time wasting on the 32nd minute that's it there's no more time wasting for the rest of the game yet they were still accusing us of time wasting on 60 70 80 minutes did you feel that we just ignored that warning and and, and carried on you know what, what was the feel for the rest of the game did you feel like we were trying to slow it down yeah of course you're trying to slow the game down you're you're gonna do when you when you're protecting um a point like that and i wouldn't i wouldn't say heaton quickened up his goal kicks or i wouldn't i wouldn't say he slowed down you know, we went down a few times uh, for cramp and a, and a few different injuries. I know Barnes did, whether that's legitimate or not, who knows. But you you are going to time waste. But I wouldn't say we we time wasted any worse than I've seen us do in other games this season, or any any worse than I've seen other other teams do. I think it's just all the massive uh, deflection tactics because ultimately Chelsea didn't get the win that they needed for Champions League football. Um, they didn't play well. They're just really bad losers, sour, sour grapes, and yeah, just all this moaning from them because and it because they didn't get the result they wanted. But uh, to summarise the my earlier point, it didn't feel any worse than many other games that I've that I've watched this season. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think one of the things I wanted to look at, Dave, was there's certainly been a lot of. Um, hypocrisy I think from the Chelsea players and from the Chelsea fans in their reaction to the game and you know a lot of people have been very quick to remind them I, I would say uh, Borden, Chris Borden from the, the Burnley Express was had to upload a video on social media if you haven't seen it do go and look at it it's very amusing and um, he was sat in the press box commentating for um, his own job and one of the Chelsea players just came up was giving him a right mouthful because he dared to um, suggest that, that Chelsea had, had got themselves a pretty decent champion League result playing exactly the same way, um, and of course this season, you know they set up in exactly the same way in the League Cup final to sit in and got beat quite rightly because of the way that they, they played. Um, Dave, there's just there is a lot of hypocrisy there, isn't? There? Yeah, I'm glad you brought the point about the um, the supporter um, having a go at the press area as well because that was uh, bang out of order. There has um, been a video uploaded about that. I don't know whether. Um, Chelsea will do anything about that. They've got the perfect pictures there to be able to see that. Anyone in the stand has got responsibility and uh, his expletives were broadcast all over uh, Radio Lancashire. I think Chris was doing the commentary for, for Radio Lancashire on uh, uh, on Monday night. So that was uh, bang out of order. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. That there, there's going to be frustration. Um, there was um, <laughs> deflection, not just from the... Uh, uh, the players and the the management staff, but I think supporters have done it to an extent as well. Um, not all of them by any means. I think there have been some out there who've um, given credit, the, uh, given Burnley the credit for uh, for what they've done. But there does seem to be sort of a uh, a very vocal undercurrent 
um, of criticism for, for for whatever Burnley have done. Uh, and going back to your point as well about the uh, the time wasting, uh, I think it's ridiculous. I mean, we we saw it. Um, well, I, I saw it last season. Nick Pope was at Anfield, um, and he got booked. I'd often see goalkeepers getting booked for uh, for time wasting, but it happened to uh, to Nick Pope at Anfield. Uh, and then later in the game, um, there was time wasting of equal amount from the uh, opposition game goalkeeper. I can't remember who was in uh, in goal for Liverpool in, in during the game, um, but. The referee didn't, uh, you know, with it being the home side, they were winning at the time. The referee made no reference to that, and there was there's no sort of uh, equality from either side. So I don't think there's a lot of consistency in there. And I think it was the in in the end on Monday night, it was the the crowd probably that ended up getting Tom Heaton booked. Um, it was a ridiculous dis- decision at the time. Um, I don't think he was um, overdoing it in terms of the time he was taking to take the goal kick. Um, and you only have to look back at, I think it was the uh, the game down at Cardiff earlier in the season, and the amount of time they were taking for throw-ins. They, they summed it up, I think, at the end of the game, didn't they, for the uh, amount of time it took to uh, to set up for, for, for their long throws. And it was a ridiculous amount of time summed up over the game. So it's one of those things that's going to happen. I think the referee didn't handle it particularly well. It was Kevin Friend, actually, wasn't it, who was, uh, who was refereeing. I don't think he handled it particularly Shock. well. What Kevin Friend didn't handle a Premier League game very well. <clears throat> God, I'm surprised. I'm so shocked, Dave, that you would insinuate that. <laughs> he's not. He's had a few shockers this season, I think, hasn't he? Um, well, I think it's interesting that, that you were saying about that. I think this idea that we time waste. I think again, we seem to be getting a lot of our facts from the Burnley Express this week. Thanks very much, Burnley Express, for helping. Um, they they actually got themselves some stats which they credited to betting expert and they looked at the average injury time by each of the premier league sides this season and ran a table just to see how much now this isn't this isn't an exact science because there may be other factors that that change the average it's a mean average from what i understand but burnley only finished 13th in that table so it's 13th worst in the league and our average injury time is 6 minutes and 35 seconds interestingly chelsea are only 11th with 6 minutes and 32 seconds so there's an average of 3 seconds between us for the course of the season in terms of injury time that's needed to be added onto the end of a game of either half to enable um, to catch up from time that's been wasted through injuries, substitutions, goals, time wasting, or whatever you want to do. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not entirely sure that, that, you know, Chelsea can really throw that one at us. Um, Richard, <laughs> the main one for me was um, hilariously uh, David Louise's bizarre, I, I can't think of any other word to use it. Um, post-match interview where he captured the headlines by saying that Burnley were anti-football. Now, you'll see that we have called our um, podcast episode this week anti-football, but in the sense of your mother or father's sister, so your relative auntie. And I I just want to have a quick pause here and um, give credit for this week's titles to Burnley Football Club and specifically whoever signed on to their Twitter page on Monday Sunday, Tuesday morning, and tweeted a fantastic picture of um, a lady who could pass for your auntie, um, dressed up in claret and blue, looking utterly wonderful. And they just captioned it, who doesn't have an anti-football? And for all of the 
um, slight niggles and frustrations that we maybe have with the mild minefield that is social media when you're a football club. I thought it was a stroke of genius. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. I nearly spit my cup of tea out when I first opened it. It was absolutely really just made me laugh. So um, credit to Burnley Football Club for a fantastically funny suite and thanks for the inspiration for this week's um, title. Um, I don't know whether you saw it during the game, Richard, but David Louise had a, a bit of an active game. He had a bit of a... a scuffle with Barnes, he had all sorts of niggles at the end um, and then he came out and basically said, oh yeah, and also he had his dive which I'll, I'll let you talk about, but he basically came out and said that our, it was it was ridiculous the way that we were playing, five minutes was never enough injury time, um, we were going down, we parked 11 men behind the goal, we were going down whenever we got the ball, we had no interest in playing football and we had no interest in trying to win the game and it's impossible to score against that Richard, where, how on earth do you start to unpick that ridiculous interview? Um, when I first read it on the Tuesday morning, I found it um, more funny than, than anything. There was a lot of tweets flying about uh, with, with Chelsea fans just fuming about the way we played. Um, and I think that's why we all love Ashley Barnes, isn't it? Because when he does play against the top teams and he starts rustling the defenders, they, they just don't like him. He is old school. Some every, every now and again, he goes too far with it. But I thought on Monday night, he got the balance absolutely superb. And I, and I thought he had a great game. Um, like I said, what does Louise expect us to do? Come out and play open, expansive football and try and pass Chelsea off the pitch when we're fighting at the bottom? Um, and again, it's just more deflection tactics because Chelsea, you know, especially in the second half, were, or, were, or were poor on the night. And we can talk about anti-football um, in the last two visits to Stamford Bridge, we've scored five goals against them. Um, we've had more points than Chelsea since Christmas, scored more goals than them, conceded less goals, and we're the ones who play anti-football. Um, and I think it's just a little bit rich coming from Chelsea, you know, going back to when they beat um, Liverpool at, um, at Anfield when Gerrard obviously famously slipped and they just put 10 men behind the ball, especially when after 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 Denver Bar scored. So it's all hypocrisy and again it's just deflection tactics. And I just find it ultimately just funny. Even when Kovacic had a little go at Barnes for like giving him a bit of a push out field, Kovacic was giving it the big one to him and Barnes just basically just laughed in his face. Um and I just, and I just thought it was brilliant and like Dai said in an in an interview says, I'm not really bothered about what anybody else says. That's for us and that's for our fans. So yeah, I don't take it too. I just take all that with a pinch of salt, really, and just and just laugh it off um, because there's there's nothing better than seeing a uh, little Burnley getting 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 results against the top six. A bit like Pochettino losing his temper with with Mike Dean. Uh, we seem to have an effect that the, for some reason the top six <laughs> see, see it um, inconceivable that they um, that they can't get anything against Burnley. So when we give it to them. Um, yeah, it's funny to see him having a meltdown. It really is. And, and like I say, it's quite nice actually to see so much in the media that jumped to our defence really. And I think we do get a bad rap in the press a lot of the times and there is this top six bias. But I think when there's a game that's called out for being as ridiculous as, as Monday night was, and I think most of the major, apart from the really heavy Chelsea ones, and I have seen some blue ticks on Twitter just tweeting the ridiculous things. Um, but, you know, a lot of the people were just seem to react and say, hang on a minute, that's not right. I know the BBC, they came out straight away and said, well, this was far from a conservative performance by Burnley. And they had six shots in, in the first half alone. Um, and actually, just some of these comments are just poor def- masking, poor defending by Chelsea. Um, 
Sean Dyche himself, actually, just to pick up on what you said then, Richard, after the game, they asked him directly what he thought of the accusations against his side. And Dyche came out and quoted said, we are allowed to win or get a point at these big clubs, you know. I'd be interested to see the physical stats. Their players go down with cramp before they have done before. We have a resilience and defending as a res- sorry, we have resilience and defending out a result is part of the game. And I think that's absolutely right. It's it's one of those there's almost a there's there's like a self-entitled arrogance amongst some of these top six players where they almost don't want to have to play the lower league sides. And just kind of, you kind of look at Chelsea fans and think Okay, then you branch away. You you put together this elite super league that you want to do with the top six. You're going to be the bottom of it every season. Is that what you want? Bottom of the league every year. But you just can't. You can't make sense of these players. You really can't. Um, just a quick note of thanks and acknowledgement. Um, I think Richard just mentioned a tweet there and some stats about since Boxing Day. We have got more points than Chelsea, scored more goals than Chelsea, and we have conceded less goals than Chelsea. That stat came from a tweet by Dan Black. So I just wanted to acknowledge that where we got that from from as a source. So um, thanks for sharing that, Dan. Um, Richard, let's stick with you and let's move on to the game. Um, it must have been an incredibly pulsating start for you. I think the first 24 minutes, rather than being anti-football, I think both sides raced out of the blocks at 100 mile an hour. Um, ben Mee in, in very early action, um, clearing off the line in the very early stages from a Higuain um, strike, which was basically set the tone for the first full half. Um, do you think Ben Mee ended up deserving the man of the match performance that he got on the whole? I thought he was terrific. Regarding Ben Mee, I actually sent a tweet out after the game saying, you know, he had a, he had a difficult start to the season, but what character he's shown to come back um, and play so well in the second half of the season. And he's my all-time favourite, uh, Claret. I thought he was superb on the night. When he's playing well, he just seems to have such a good positional sense. Um, he's not blessed with pace, but he's, he's quick enough. But he just reads the game so well and he's strong. Um, yeah, and I think he fully deserved his Man of the Match award. And he's better with the ball than people give him credit for. Yeah, he might not take it out of the defence loads and beat three or four players or do 60-yard passes. But very rarely do you see him giving um, any sloppy passes away that Tarkovsky can do. And there was actually one, point, one moment in the second half when he was under pressure. The ball came up and he could have easily just smashed it away. He brung it down in his chest, played it out to Taylor and then was managed to um, you know, mount a little attack from there. Um, yeah, so I thought he fully deserved his man of the match. And, and, if, you're, and if you're looking at some of the other defenders, Lewis, Dunk, Tarky, and again, nothing, nothing against him. Um, but I think, you know, he really does deserve inter- international rec- recognition soon. Um, he is a little bit old school, uh, but he's just a proper defender. And again, he just wears his heart and, uh, you know, plays with his heart and soul for the club. He really does, and and maybe taking these slightly out of order, I thought Bemi was terrific for our second goal as well for um, the Barnes netbuster of a goal, which I do love those. Um, he found himself just drifted away perfectly to get himself all that space in the box, and I thought that the header they put in across the ball was a really strong header. I don't know how ridiculous his neck muscles are, but Dave, if, if you look at it, all I mean, there's some awful def- Chelsea defending for both goals anyway, but that goal specifically. Just carrying on with, with Ben Mee, Ben Mee does that fantastic header across. Chris Wood finds himself in space as well, but he doesn't try and bundle it over the line. He sees Ashley Barnes and he flicks it on as well. And Barnes just comes flying in. 
I just that was such a well worked goal in my opinion. Yeah, well, again, both goals came from set pieces, didn't they? And that uh, that second goal, yeah, Ben Mee was pivotal to it. He's not going to get an assist for it because obviously it came off uh, Chris Wood before it went through to Ashley Barnes. But again, a great uh, a great team goal, Burnley. You know, practicing these things on the uh, on the training ground, putting them into practice on the pitch. I think we have been critical sometimes in the past of not making as much as we could do from set pieces, because when you when when you're a Burnley in this world in this Premier League, you've perhaps got to make the most of uh, those sort of situations. And certainly in the second half of this season, we have done that. I think um, I did see the stat um, that, went, that was posted out during the game that despite having um, the second fewest corners. Uh, Burnley, I think, a second in terms of goals that they've had from corners this season. So, you know, corners, free kicks, set pieces are vital and we've really, really taken advantage of them and certainly did with both of the goals on uh, on Monday night. Yeah, I think the the, the, sec- the first goal as well, I think, like you say, the, both of the, the set pieces were, were pretty clever. And I've, I've heard us be described by a lot of pundits and, and commentators as being um, the set piece specialists, uh, which makes me laugh massively because... That's a relatively new thing for us because we've never usually been set-piece specialists at all. And I just find it brilliantly hilarious that our set-piece specialists, i.e. Robbie Brady and Stephen DeFore, haven't been anywhere near the side all season. And suddenly we are scoring from set-pieces for fun. Um, Dave, sticking with you, um, just talk us through that Hendrick strike. What just what was going through Hendrick's mind? He had he had absolute confidence that that was going in, didn't he? He did, yeah. And again, it was it was Ben Mee who was involved. Ben Mee actually didn't get his head on the ball, but he was kind of uh, there challenging for it. Uh, the ball was headed out by the um, the Chelsea defender to to Hendrick on the edge of the box, and uh, he did really really well. He kept uh, kept his head down, kept the ball down. May have come slightly off his shin, but it'd been never easy from that sort of distance. And uh, give Kepa no chance in uh, Chelsea's goal. And it was uh, a really rousing moment. We don't score many goals from distance, do we, to, to get one from there. Um, but going back, uh, Jeff, Jeff Hendricks capable of doing it. As we know, he scored that uh, wonder goal, didn't he, against uh, Bournemouth at Turf Moor, um, where he brought the ball down and, and scored from outside the box. So uh, he is capable of it when he uh, when he gets the chance. Yeah, he is. And I think that's that's been maybe a slightly frustrating element to Hendrick's play for a lot of fans in that they know he has that in his arm and they know that he's capable of it and they would love to see it a little bit more often. Um, Richard, I think we do need to <laughs> give some credit, I think, to um, the two Chelsea goals. Um, I think for a lot of the drama that was going on there, there's a couple of players who I thought managed to... Um, conduct themselves very well. Eden Hazard is just unbelievably class. Um, and he ran circles around Burnley in that first half an hour. And I also think, I was going to pronounce this wrong, is it? How do I pronounce it? Here, hang on, hang on, listeners. Higuain. That's right, isn't it? I am saying that right. I thought both Higuain and um, Eden Hazard were incredibly, well, they were calm. And I don't think they got themselves involved in a lot of the, the nonsense. And I think that they did really well. Um, you can kind of look at the, some goals that you concede in the Premier League and question whether the defence can do any better, if there's anything they can learn from it. But Richard, both of the Chelsea goals, like poor Matt Lawton, just hard put him on his backside at one point, didn't he? And you almost feel for, for Lawton. He was just looking at his players going, I, I can't do anything about that. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm helpless there. There was a couple of moments of absolute class where you've just got to hold your hands up. Yeah, it, you know, it was brilliant from, from Hazard. And I think you touched on it there, Natalie. You said 
he is he is class. He is a world class player, in my opinion. I think on his day, he is the best in the league. And when you when you can see two goals like that, were fantastic pieces of skill, a great strike from both Kante and especially from Higuain. You've just got to, got to hold your hands up. You know, going back to when we played Liverpool a few weeks ago, I thought we just absolutely gifted them three goals, and they didn't even have to play well um, to beat us. Um, and like, but what I will give Lawton credit for. Second half, though, Hazard was relatively quiet. Um, I think Hendrick got back and helped Lawton better and they almost uh, doubled, doubled up on him. Um, but yeah, you know, and even though we did concede those goals in quick succession, you know, we come back and we showed our our character to get back in the game. I think if that's a game at the start of the season, yeah, we might have got that first goal, but conceded them two so close so soon after. I think we could have gone on to lose 3 or 4-1, but... I think recently we've got more of that, uh, as Dice would say, a strong jaw back. Um, but yeah, like, like I said, Hazard is world-class and credit to him. He, he never really got involved in any of the uh, nonsense that some of the, some of the other players did. And But, you know, like, like I said before, give credit to Lawton. I thought he'd come back well in the second half of the game. Yeah, I really did. And, and I certainly wasn't highlighting that point in any way to criticise Lawton. I think I did have to just have some sympathy for him because it's almost like... What can I do? You know, Eden Hazard's just literally turned me inside out. There is nothing that I can do here. Um, I think certainly for the second goal as well, there was such a cheeky back heel um, and a step over. And just, you can't, you don't expect these players to do these ridiculous little things that you can't see. Um, Richard, where do you think Eden Hazard's future lies? I think it's probably accepted he's going to go from Chelsea in the summer. Where do you think he'll end up? Um, Obviously, there's a lot of noise about him going to Real Madrid. Um, and I think when there's so much noise about a player going to Madrid when Bale's gone in the past and Ronaldo, they normally tend to get their player. Um, and it'll be a, a real shame for him to go out to the Premier League as not just a Burnley fan, but somebody who just loves watching football and, and watching the best players. And, you know, even the best players play against Burnley so you can so you can see how you go against them. It'll be a, a shame to see him go. But I think for his career, I think he needs the next step now. I think che- I think he's too good for Chelsea. When you when you when you watch their team, yeah, they've got some other good players, but he just stands out an absolute mile. I generally think if he wasn't on the pitch um, on on Monday night, we would have won that game. Yeah, that's exactly what my dad said as well. Um, and you know, my dad, whatever my dad says is is truth. Um, he he did say the same thing actually. He said, I think you know, he was the one that kept them in the game. The rest of them was so bad. Um, I completely agree with that point actually, Richard. I just wish he was staying in the Premier League. I wish he'd go to City. Not that they need another ridiculous international superstar um but it was going to be a real shame to lose him from the premier league um dave did i i might have spoken out of turn earlier on and i've just realized that i didn't actually fact check this before i came on air am i right in remembering that chelsea have got a transfer ban for the next two windows so essentially if they lose hazard in the summer they can't sign anybody else um i think it's up for appeal last i read i think there's um uh, it's still up in the air so it's not definite as i understand it yeah, I think that's going to definitely cause them some problems. I just think out of the top six sides, they are in a bit of disarray, Chelsea. And I think, like I say, normally we'd be quite offended by um, an attack against Burnley fans and against Burnley players. But I think this time we're just like, well, it's a load of it's a load of noise. Um, and I, I don't know, you know, whether you guys agree, but I just feel like it was just so comical. You've got a a team who are their managers under pressure, their players are under pressure. They've got transfer embargoes. They're losing their star player, and it does feel like in the Premier League, every now and again, one of the top six goes um, completely awol and <laughs> does start having a bad season. Um, Dave, I think you had one last point, didn't you, on before we move on to the the City game? Well, 
Well, yeah, just going back on about Chelsea, you've got to really feel sorry for them having, uh, what is it, 50 or 60 players out on uh, loan. The transfer embargo is not really going to hit them in the same way as it would um, would other teams because of the talent that is uh, out there that they've got on loan at other teams. They've got a really, really strong academy system, strong youth system. And there's, uh, well, an embarrassment of riches in terms of young players who they could call on if that uh, appeal is unsuccessful um, and they're not able to sign players from other teams. Do you think they will, though? I mean, they're not, they're not a club that's known for developing youth talent. Maybe this will be the kick up the backside they need. Well, quite often they don't get the chance. They Basically, they bring players in and uh, they spend the money and, and perhaps don't give players uh, the chance they otherwise would get. So it, it may force the hand. It might be uh, maybe beneficial for them. Yeah, what do you think, Richard? Have you got any thoughts on this? Um, I think, yeah, just going on to about the embargo, I think it's a really interesting one for Chelsea. Obviously, They've started bringing Hudson Adai through, um, and he obviously, I think he's ruptured his Achilles heel, so I think that that's going to be a massive blow for them. Um, but that's what makes me laugh about Chelsea fans saying Burnley's anti-football, Burnley's all that's wrong with football, and they've got the hypocrisy to say this when they're under a transfer embargo. Um, you know, for you know, for financial fair play regulations, it you know, it just really frustrates me. And if they have got an embargo for it, it might, um, you know. You know, te- teach them a lesson for for offer once. Yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, it's like you say. There's just this is the, I guess the point I was I was making just before we came onto this. There's just so much that's just nonsense from Monday that it's it's almost laughable. And, and normally I get quite defensive. I think when somebody has an attack on us, I'm like, how dare you have a go at my club and my fans and my players and my manager? It's like we're allowed to if we fight. In between ourselves, that's fine, but you don't attack us. Um, but there was it just it just got to the point on on Monday night where it was just hilarious. Um, but as it stands, it, it worked, and and that's Burnley on forty points, and it is hilarious in that we're not yet mathematically safe, and I think Deitch is still going. Oh well, you know the job's not fully done yet because Cardiff are only nine points behind us, and there are nine games. Sorry, nine points to play for. But I think even Dyche allowed himself the luxury of saying, "Yeah, look, it's going to take a ridiculous. Uh, we've got to lose all three, and they've got to win all three, um, and they have got to overturn. Is it like an eighteen, nineteen point goal difference? Um, so that's enough of the Chelsea nonsense. Um, let's leave us with the lovely, comforting thoughts that we got to draw away at Chelsea and it puts us on 40 points and that's all I care about. David Louise, I don't care about you and your rubbish hair and your anti-football chants. We are Burnley, we are Ashley Barnes and we are going to do it our way. Um, which brings us quite nicely on to match number two of this um, end of season slightly horrendous run and it doesn't get any easier because we've got to go and play title winners, title holders, current champions, whatever you want to call them, Manchester City at Turf Moor. Um, Dave, this is not going to be an easy game. We know that. But before we start looking into it in any more depth, hit us with some head-to-head stats. Yeah, well, looking back at the previous games between uh, Burnley and Manchester City at Turf Moor, um, the last game we played was actually the 50th, a bit of a milestone, um, and Burnley have won 22 of those previous 50 meetings. So, Perhaps not surprisingly, that's a little bit low the, uh, below the average when you look at um, Burnley's overall form at Turf Moor against uh, opposition generally. Perhaps not a, a surprise. Um, but Manchester City are one of those sides uh, going back where Burnley haven't had the best record against them at home or away. They, they went several years and uh, they really did seem to have um, 
when when whenever they play Burnley, they just seem to raise the game and, uh, and and get a really good result against us. Um, and they had a spell, certainly at Turf Moor, going back from uh, the nineties. They had five consecutive wins at Turf Moor. The the one interesting one in here going back was um, nineteen ninety one. It was an FA Cup match um, and uh, start of January. And it was a little bit of a milestone match um, in the game. It was the, actually the first Sunday match that was actually ever played at Turf Moor. Uh, Burnley had only played two previous times on a Sunday. I know going back to the 60s, Bob Lord um, really had an objection to playing football um, on a Sunday. And, you know, football didn't tend to be played on Sunday back in the uh, 60s. It was only really the 70s when it started coming in at all. Um, and Millwall was Burnley's first away game on a Sunday. Um, and then we also played the Sherpa Van final in 1988. That was also on a Sunday. Uh, but the first game at Turf Moor was uh, when Manchester City were the visitors. Um, and uh, again, Burnley were playing Manchester City, who were in a, a higher division at the time. Um, played really well, actually. Um, unlucky to come away with a, a defeat just by a goal to nil. Uh, but it would have to be uh, a, a Blackburn Rovers player who scored. It was uh, Colin Hendry. Who, well, future Blackburn Rovers player who uh, who scored for Manchester City that day. Mm. And then it got worse after that. 1999, the Stan Turnant, that was towards the end of his first season in charge. Um, we had, well, we, we had a really, really bad run. We'd, we'd, we, we had t- two heavy defeats. Um, we had a 5 0 defeat against uh, Gillingham. Bob Taylor had scored all five goals for them. Um, and then also we had a, a 6-0 defeat against Manchester City and Stan Turnant was looking like, well, Burnley A were looking like we're going to get relegated. So, you know, we're on a really bad run, looking like we're going to get relegated. Um, you know, City scored for fun that day. Um, and Burnley actually lost the game after that. So the, the pressure really piled up. We lost to Preston as a televised game the following week. Burnley actually played really well, but uh, uh, were defeated 1-0. Um, and then after that, um, turned it around. Burnley stayed up, and everything was uh, was all right. And obviously, Stan Turner went on to uh, to better things with Burnley and got promotion the following season. But the Manchester City game was uh, a bit of a horror one—a six-nil uh, defeat. That was in March 1999. Um, the following season, uh, we played uh, in a League Cup game. Um, uh, we were, we lost one-nil in that one. Um, and then in 2001. Uh, again, another televised game, I think, if I remember rightly. Um, yes, it was. It was on the ITV Sport channel. Um, Burnley had uh, a sending off early in the game for a, for a handball. Gordon Armstrong was sent off. Uh, Manchester City uh, won that one 4-2. It's not getting any better, this, is it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I am very depressed listening to this, by the way. I, I would have normally inputted by now. I'm just like, oh, God, this is horrible. But carry on. Yeah, it doesn't get any better because then we're into um, we had a a bit of a gap then through to April 2010. By then we were back into the Premier League, so things were bound to get better. uh, Except they they didn't, did they? Uh, Brian Laws was in charge, and we had a horrendous performance. Um, We were three nil down after seven minutes. Adebayor, Bellamy, and Tevez scored the goals. It was five nil at half time. Um, and we drew the second half 1-1. It was the one, if you remember, where Kevin McDonald ended up in the uh, 110 club after uh, being substituted at half-time, which uh, didn't go down too well. Uh, that was 6-1 in the end to uh, to Manchester City. Uh, but it, 
just get a little bit better because we've got a, a victory to shout about after that. The uh, the next Premier League meeting we had at Turf Moor was um, March 2015. It's a season that ended in relegation, but we had a little bit of a, a highlight when uh, George Boyd scored the winning goal, cracking goal, uh, reasonably late on in the game. I think it was uh, just after the hour. Um, he scored, put Burnley in the lead, and we uh, we, we probably time waste a little bit uh, as the game went on, but we got uh, a one <laughs> a one nil win uh, that time. Uh, and then since then, just another two matches, we uh, we took the lead again uh, in twenty sixteen seventeen. Dean Marnie scored a, a rare goal. He didn't score that many for Burnley, but he scored a, a cracking goal. Dean Scored a cracking goal against Manchester City. <laughs> but another player who had a habit of scoring against us, or has a habit of scoring against us, Sergio Aguero, uh, got two goals back and City won that one. And then we're back up to date for last season. Um, Burnley came back and got a 1-1 draw. Uh, Danny Lowe scored a a really good goal for Manchester City in the 22nd minute from uh, you know a shot from outside the box, uh, but Johan Berggudmundsson came back and got an equaliser in the 82nd minute, so we came back and got a point in that one. So we've had a, a, a draw, a defeat, and a win in the last three Premier League games, and uh, Sunday's going to be a challenge, as we know. But you know we, we, can, <laughs> we, we can we can raise our game, can't we, for the uh, for the big sides. Oh, Dave, I do love you. You are wonderful. (laughs) You have done. Well, that was uh, uplifting. I feel inspired. Um, Richard, that didn't make particularly pleasant reading, but I guess we didn't really expect that. But given given our safety now, I guess, and given the the challenges that the City face in terms of getting the league, I guess this all depends on what happens in the this, the Manchester derby, which is happening in about six minutes. I was trying to hurry you along then, Dave, because I want to watch the game after we've recorded. Um, do you think it makes any difference, Richard? Do you think we've got any chance of getting anything out of Sunday's game? Um, it only kicks off at eight, Natalie, so you've got a little bit more time than maybe what you thought. Excellent. Uh, this is why I have a team around me of people who keep me in check. Don't worry, I'd have been off by now if, it, if we wasn't uh, done. But uh, <laughs> no, what a guest! <laughs> <laughs> no, I think last season, obviously, Dave alluded to it when a uh, government scored the equaliser. It was one of my favourite games of the season, uh, and I think at that point as well, City were absolutely flying. Uh, so to get that point against was brilliant. And you know, it's I really don't know how it's going to go. Obviously, a lot depends on the game tonight. Whether they win or lose, they're going to come out all guns blazing. Uh, we have to show the same level of intensity and uh, hard work that we did against Chelsea to get anything out of the game. Um, and will we do that after we've given so much on Monday and now we're safe? I'm not sure. Because the last couple of seasons when we've almost achieved our objective, we haven't put in great performances going back to like Bournemouth at home last game of the season. Uh, so, but yeah, fingers crossed we do give them a good game. Um, you know, it, it would be nice to beat and beat the champions again like we've done in every uh like we've done in every season we've been in the Premier League, we've beat the Champions of the Year before. Uh, but at the same time, if we do win, that'll probably mean Liverpool win the league. And um, I'm not quite sure how happy I'm, I am about that because uh, the Liverpool fans will never stop harping on about it. I know. <laughs> I feel exactly the same way. I almost feel like I could happily forfeit Sunday's game. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, if any Liverpool fans are listening, I'm sure they're not, but I don't mean are you any offence here. But um, a lot, a significant number of your fans have got um, previous for um, rubbing our faces in it and I just think your fans you know they'll be excited and good for them but also impossible for like the next 40 years so um yeah we'll, we'll see how it goes um I think that the way I feel about this I think that 
Um, I fully expect Deitch to rally the troops and get them to be um, up for it and be professional and be competitive and, and put in a good show. Um, however, that said, it's pretty much job done this season and it's a lot to ask um, a side that has given a lot this season, has faced challenges that they've not faced at this level before, that's played six games before the, the Premier League even started um, and has really come good at the end of the season. So in that sense, I kind of wouldn't, I wouldn't be annoyed at them if they just took their foot off the pedal and just, you know, I don't expect them to work themselves to the bone. I think that's the point I'm trying to make here. You know, be professional, try and be competitive, but you don't need to kill yourselves. You know, job's done and we'd go again next season. Um, That's all we've got time for, I think. We have looked back on a very dramatic night at Stamford Bridge. We've laughed at um, the deverish demands of Chelsea players, Chelsea management and Chelsea fans. We have applauded our boys for keeping their cool and for earning themselves a very well-earned point and we are very happy that Burnley Football Club will be playing their fourth consecutive um, game of Premier League sorry, fourth consecutive Premier League season next year Um, I think it's going to be a challenging game on Sunday but it's one that I'm looking forward to and you know what this is what the Premier League's all about seeing the world-class players come to Turf Moor and and showboat and and demonstrate their skills so as long as it's not um, a painful spanking then I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll be happy whatever happens. Thanks as ever this week go to my fellow panellists and my guests, um, Statman Dave, who's with us every single week. But special thanks to our very special guest, Richard, who uh, joins us again. Richard, it's been lovely to have you um, and thanks for coming on again. Thank you very much, Natalie. Enjoyed it uh, as always and hopefully I'll be uh, back on soon and uh, uh, doing some podcasts in the Premier League next season, which is brilliant to say. Yeah, well, we certainly hope so. You're very much welcome whenever you want to come on. Um, thanks as ever to producer Matt, who will be editing this week's podcast and making us sound a little bit slicker than we have been um i do wish actually we, we still had outtakes because i think uh, you guys would would enjoy some of the, the challenges we've had <laughs> yeah dave doesn't we've had, dave's had a bit of a shocker this evening so it's been a bit bit patched together as this week's episode so sorry matt um but thanks as ever go to you for downloading and listening to this podcast your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you we will be back next week with our look at the home game against champion city where we'll hopefully be discussing mathematical safety as a certainty. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Known and Ever podcast. Until next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.